for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Econ Talk Kickstart 2023 here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong in Beijing. Well, China has said that it will prioritize the expansion of domestic demand this year and boost consumption. Indeed, many of the world's top financial institutions forecast a consumption and services-led growth path for this year for China. So what can we expect from the world's second largest consumer market in 2023? And what more can China do to leverage the rising prosperity of its consumers to power growth going forward? Well, let's talk more about this and bring in Bruno Lan, senior partner at Bain & Company. Bruno specializes in consumer products, luxury and retail. We also have Dr. David Blair, who is vice president and senior economist at the think tank Center for China and Globalization. And we also have Chen Jiahe, chief investment officer at Novum Arcade Technologies. Thank you all so much for joining us uh, on today's Econ Talk Kickstart 2023. Let's talk about the consumption recovery. Jiahe, I want to come to you in terms of how you see consumption playing out throughout the rest of the year, because we do see that strong uh, consumption bounce back in January in February, and I'm wondering how sustainable it is, because policymakers have said that this is a priority for this year, right? It's about expanding domestic demand. It's about boosting consumption for this year, but also beyond. But for the rest of this year, how do you see consumption playing out? Currently, we can see that the consumption is gradually picking back in different industries. Uh, for example, uh, when we look at the Chinese New Year, which is only one or two months right after the uh, changing of the COVID policy, we have seen uh, the rebounding of the tourism industry has been really quick. But some other industries, for example, book consumption, uh, has not been rebounding that quickly. It takes uh, a bit more time, like three or four months, to recover to its uh, euro standard. And also, if you look at consumption of many other items, such as mobile phone, computer, uh, computers and laptops, uh, they are much slower compared with tourism because tourism industry is the first one that actually comes out as well as restaurants because people has been, uh, have been locking down their homes for quite a long period of time. And when uh, all the policies are removed, they say, okay, we want to travel uh, in the first time. But uh, when do they say that I want to change my mobile phone? I want to change my laptop. These kind of consumptions. I want to buy a new car. Is that when they are more confident about their income? You know, uh, they're more confident about their income, more confident about their investment, more confident about their businesses. It's start to say, okay, I'm going to have enough enough cash flow in the future. So let me consume some more. So that really takes a period of time for the consumption confidence to come back. Uh, it has been recognized that it probably take like at least three months or maybe six months for the overall consumption to come back to its original level. So, so that's a period of time to take. That's why the government is also trying to set out the policy uh, throughout the year to stimulate the consumption. Because when you look at the Chinese economy right now in this year, consumption is probably the most important sector to bring the economy back to zero track because export is something that we can't really expect too much this year because we have seen uh, the global economy is uh, quite you know fragile at this moment it's not that strong so the export is not something that we can really count on mm. uh, we want the export to be strong but that's not something that china can decide alone if the demand from Europe and America start to uh, slow or at least smooth, then that means the export would still face some pressure. And when we look at the investment, um, that's another story because the investment has been taken up too much uh, 
uh, tasks in, uh, in the past three years to save the economy. So it's a lot of investment has been done. I mean, a lot of projects, uh, construction work, uh, highway, airports, these kind of constructions uh, have already been started in the past three years. We can't mm. keep on adding too much investment projects. Uh, so when you look at all these sectors, the consumption would be the one that really saves the economy this year. So, and, and it takes like three to six months for it to recover to its um, euro standard. So that's why the government is taking all the measures to stimulate the consumption. Okay, so Jiahe, how would you characterize perhaps the strength of the signal, the tone from the government in terms of supporting consumption? Because we see the signals from the central government, but also local governments across China also unveiling their own detailed plans to boost consumption. And do you think these pro-consumption policies will continue throughout the rest of the year? So right now we see, for example, consumption vouchers for targeted industries and targeted uh, products. We see perhaps even free tickets to tourism destinations, uh, and we see this pickup in consumer loans as well. Will these pro-consumption policies continue throughout the rest of the year? I think so. I mean, uh, at least for the first six to nine months, if the consumption really goes back to its uh, uh, normal level uh, in September or August, then maybe the policies will, will withdraw. I mean, those policies, as you mentioned, like uh, you know, giving up, uh, giving out coupons, uh, cutting taxes, uh, rising income, providing jobs. You know, all these kind of things uh, are being used to stimulate the consumption uh, from the central government to the local governments because there are. So many detailed works to do. I mean, every if if you look at China, China is so huge. I mean, it, it goes like thousands of kilometers from its north to the south. So so that's why we see the central government is setting out an overall policy, and the local governments, each local government of each city, is setting out the particular policy uh, based on its own uh, circumstances. Well, uh, Deutsche Bank was talking about a 20 trillion RMB of buildup in uh, savings in the past three years. So when the Chinese consumer does come back uh, and comes back even stronger, it has quite a massive buildup of savings to draw on. Um, let's talk about the future a little bit in terms of how to unleash consumption potential even better. Bruno, I want to come to you because recently we saw China's uh, finance minister, Mr. Liu Kun, writing an article and he was talking about um, in terms of how to boost consumption down the road. It's about making Chinese consumers more willing to consume and making Chinese consumers perhaps uh, creating a more convenient environment as well for consumers to spend. Uh, what do you make of these comments? We were still very optimistic in part because I think the number of middle class households that are going to be created over the next uh, seven to ten years is going to be the same as the number of uh, middle-class households that have been created in the previous 10 years. And so we, that's why you know, we are doubling the number of households at middle-income level. And that's, you know, and that's absolutely fantastic to drive consumption. And so we believe the next China is China, but it will take a while. We have also said multiple times, the, um, you know, the, China is the best consumer store in the world yeah. uh, because it has, the, it has the potential growth and it has the size. Exactly. And so the competition of both, I think, is just extraordinary. So, so we, you know, and, and we also say, by the way, that the China growth story has never been a straight line. Yeah. There has been some accidents along the way, sometimes driven by outside, like the financial crisis, sometimes driven by inside. It's never a straight line, but, but the direction of travel is absolutely clear. Yeah. Uh, we are very, very optimistic that, uh, you know, with, with our clients and within Bain, 
about uh, the uh, the potential of China consumption in the China market. While many of those companies have been have been especially multinationals, they have been around, of course, for many years, mm. and so they have lived through those, some of those hiccups that I mentioned earlier. So sometimes it goes down, sometimes it goes up. There's some 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 evolution, but uh, but they have uh, they have a very clear north star, which is you know this market. I've also used the expression many times. You know, this should be your second home market. So, yeah. uh, so it should be as big or or even bigger than your home market, depending on the size of your home market, of course. And wow. so, I think many many companies believe that this is the real potential of China. But again, it's not a straight line. There will be accident uh, along the way. But let's keep the you know the steady faith and uh, and uh, and commitment yeah. to the growth of the market is what matters. Yeah. You mentioned the middle income population because China aims to double that uh, by 2035 from now over 400 million to 800 million plus in terms of middle income population. And like you mentioned, you add onto that a supersized market that's becoming more and more unified. David, I want to come to you because one other key factor that's going to boost consumption, not only here in China, but for any economy, it's about raising average disposable incomes. and raising incomes in general. What more do you think China needs to do to raise the average disposable incomes, especially for the low and middle income population? Because these two groups have a stronger and bigger marginal propensity to consume down the road. What more do you think China needs to do? It's really not consumption that matters in the long term. It's incomes that matter in mm. the long term. And we can talk about consumption incentives for the year or so, but what really matters is the next 10 years or the next 20 years. And China has its consumption has grown so much over the last 20 years because average real incomes, median real incomes have been growing so rapidly. Most years during the last 20 years, they were growing faster than GDP growth, which was already high. So that explains the consumption story over the last 20 years. I think it's important that China continues to raise median real incomes. That's median means 50% above and 50% below. So where are those median real incomes going to be created? One is by moving companies up market. As, as incomes go up, as wages go up, the company has to find more productive uses for those more costly employees. And they can, they can produce not the cheap stuff they used to produce in 2005 or so, but they have to aim for producing higher value stuff. That's one part of it. The, the place where I think China has a huge opportunity is, as you mentioned, the 500 million people still out in the countryside. Targeting them and the kinds of things they want to buy is very important. I also think China needs to, and, and I know the government's working on this, but there needs to be a strong effort to improve the education services and healthcare services for small towns and the countryside, because those people have a lot of potential. They're really the future of the country. Mm. And that's that sort of low hanging fruit for increasing incomes. The next, you know, invest some more in so that a child in a rural village doesn't feel that he's so disadvantaged from the most, you know, the most educated area of Beijing or Shanghai. I know that's a that's a big call, but there might be an educational business opportunity either for AI or or telecommunications to really boost the, the education that people are getting in country schools and therefore increase their productivity in the future. So hmm. th those are the two ways that I think China's growing in the future.
360-degree profiles of industry movers and shakers, tech mavericks, and policymakers. We drill down on their success. We ask how they set strategy and how they navigate in an increasingly competitive market. Real talk, real business. Join the conversation. Biz Talk. Jaha, uh, I want to come to you. China has proposed something called the Common Prosperity Initiative. It's not a new concept. This has been around for quite a long time, but we are seeing a stronger emphasis on common prosperity going forward. Uh, explain to our audience how you see the connection between common prosperity and boosting consumption down the road. Right? So common prosperity, at least to me, a big part is about increasing the size of the middle income population, have that olive structure when it comes to income distributions. What do you think? Yeah, that's quite right. I mean, if, if, if we look at all the uh, government policies in uh, countries like China, United States, Singapore, where in Singapore it has been strongly emphasized these kind of uh, common prosperity, uh, where they have been trying to do that. So it, it is it is really important that you have a large middle income rather than a very small group of rich people and a lot of people without uh, much money. Um, because uh, when we when we think, compare these two um, situations, one is that you have a large middle income, the second is yeah, you have a small group of wealthy people. Even if they spend the same amount of money every year, even even this is the case, but for the whole economy, it will be much better to have a lot of people to spend. Because in that case, uh, when you have a lot of uh, middle income uh, people to spend, they will spend money on something that is really useful for your life. You know, Not something with luxury brand, not something with fancy uh, features, but not really useful in the, in the real life. But they will spend money with things like a mobile phone, cars, uh, houses, furniture, all these kind of things. And these kind of things really boost the economy uh, by many extent because you know, mobile phone factory employs a lot of people, furniture factory employs a lot of people, these kind of things. Uh, so that is why we have to have so-called uh, common prosperity or whatever the name you name it, uh, which means uh, give, uh, well, the massive amount of people a lot of money to spend so that the consumption of the economy will be really strong rather than just being strong on the numbers. In terms of Different industries we see, for example, uh, green products are picking up pace these days, health and wellness. You see all these new areas and industries where consumption uh, is picking up. But in terms of geography, I was taking a look at some of the foreign direct investment numbers and we're seeing more FDI coming into China's central and western regions. Uh, what do you think about these two areas? the west of China, the central parts of China, because often we think about the large cities along the eastern seaboard from the north to the south. But how big of a potential, how many opportunities are there, do you think, in the western and central parts of China to really boost consumption even more in this country? Well, currently, the per capita GDP of China is about 13,000 US dollars. And when you look at eastern cities like Shanghai, Nanjing, Beijing, these cities are having like 20 or 25,000 US dollars uh, per capita GDP. So that means their growth potential has been much slower compared with the central and the western uh, regions. So when you see all these investments come in, uh, they would pick the places that are, you know, potentially having more 
more potential to grow uh, and much less cost when you think about the cost of land, uh, cost of labor, cost of logistics, these kind of things. So that is why China has been uh, putting a large emphasis in these years on its countryside, because currently we have about 35% of the people still living in the countryside and 65% in the urban areas. And when you look at the per capita income, uh, the countryside people are having about 40% of the income of the urban people. So, so that means they have a large potential for them to grow. And when they have more money, they will be able to spend. Um, so that is why we uh, are putting the emphasis on these uh, less developed regions. Mm. Bruno, I want to come to you. There's scale and depth in China's consumer market. And Bain's clients, you would say, understand the structural forces pushing China's consumption yes. market forward. To drive consumption, we need income per capita growth. And to get income per capita, per capita growth, we need uh, job creation. And to get job creation, we absolutely need entrepreneurs who mm. are successful and who can actually create those jobs uh, and, and increase you know, the, the paycheck to their, to their employees. So all of this is, I think, is a continuum. And so the Chinese government said, they have three priorities. One is growth, stability, and confidence. And I think these are three key words because they're all related. Entrepreneurs need confidence. They need a stable environment, a stable regulatory environment, a stable fiscal environment, a stable economic environment, so that they can actually create their enterprise and, 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 and create jobs. Um, you know, consumers, as we as we mentioned before, they also need that stable environment and to be their confidence. And so, all of these are ingredients to growth. And 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 I think we should we should uh, really uh, assume that uh, the key driver of consumption ultimately is job creation through healthy enterprises. And so, everything we can do or the government can do to uh, to incentivize entrepreneurs to continue to create jobs, to continue to create companies, I think is going to ultimately contribute a lot to consumption. One of the big transition and one of the big driver of income per capita growth is clearly to be able to manage that transition at, at a huge scale, of course, which is the scale of the China economy between the, the blue collar workers to the you know service workers, because of course, the, some of the industrial jobs are being eliminated, replaced by robots. And then there is a huge uh, demand for service jobs tech, in the tech sector and the service sector. And so a key driver of income per capita growth is to manage that transition and to do that, the imperative of reskilling, retraining those workers so that they can actually you know, transition from their past job to the new jobs where there is demand and when there and where there is higher income potential, that is a key challenge. I think that I think companies and government should work on together. Uh, David, I want to come to you and ask you about the relationship between innovation and consumption here in China, because China now is the world's largest patent filer, and you've written before that innovation needs to be spread out. Are you perhaps seeing that here in China, and how do you see the the relationship between China's rising innovation power as well as future consumption? I think we still see several big innovation hubs. I think in particular, Guangdong province is in a unusual position that they have a, they're a high tech plus manufacturing innovation hub. So that gives them a great position in the world. 
Uh, I'm hoping they'll spread some of that capability. I think they are to inland places. You see a few inland places like uh, Chengdu in particular has a lot of high tech capability and is building up that. I think it's building up that very rapidly. I think we need to be careful when we talk about innovation. We think we're talking about often sort of high tech AI, uh, very high scientifically related stuff. Well, that's one kind of innovation that's a, and that's one kind of business. The other is a more traditional uh, type of usually small family business, which net innovates in the sense that it increases productivity. And you see people building up a, a business of maybe 10, 20, 100 people, and that employs a lot of people. That's innovation too. And I think those kinds of entrepreneurs, you're going to see a lot of that in the countryside mm. because people are trying to build up. China is really the sort of the family oriented innovation is just as important as sort of the AI innovation that we're seeing in, yeah. in, in Beijing. And I think it's important that the government encourages both kinds. The, 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 smaller, the smaller kind of business I'm talking about is really up to the local governments. And it's important that the spirit of dynamism, spirit of entrepreneurship is understood by the local governments as well as by the central government in Beijing. You spoke about entrepreneurship, Bruno, and I want to just get your sense of what do you think about the entrepreneurial spirit here in China compared to the rest of the world? What have you seen so far? Uh, just give our audience a broader sense of the entrepreneurial spirit you see in China. I think, well, I've, I've always said as well that, that China is a land of entrepreneurs. I think the, um, and, and I hope it continues. I think, I think the, you know, the, the last couple of years may have changed the mindset of entrepreneurs uh, to, some, to some extent. I think it's, it's, but if you look at the last 40 years, you know, I think the success of China, the job creation of China has been driven of course, by the, the government five-year plan, et cetera, and the, and the build-out of infrastructure, which has been a, 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 an amazing enabler for the entrepreneurs to do what they want to do, which is create jobs and, and, and create success stories with their companies. And so that has been, to me, the major driver of the Chinese economy in the past. The combination of the two, the five-year plan and the entrepreneurial spirit, I think the combination of the two has been has been absolutely tremendously successful. Mm. Now I think we need to continue to do that. Those two pillars, you know, the five-year plan and the build-out of infrastructure, helping companies to do what they what they are supposed to do, and letting the entrepreneurs do what they want to do. That I think is a continuous recipe for success. And mm. so, hopefully, we're going to see more of that in the next few years. So I was reading a report, gentlemen, by J.P. Morgan that said the Chinese consumer is the second biggest contributor to global consumption growth. So that number for the year 2021 came in at 23%. So the Chinese consumer contributed to 23% of global consumption growth. Number one, unsurprisingly, of course, is the United States. So uh, at around 33%. What did surprise me was Europe. I mean, European consumers contributed just 9% to global uh, consumption growth. And then the rest of the world combined is at around 35%. So I'm going to make a prediction here and say that because there's still a long way to go in terms of China unleashing its full consumption potential, that eventually the Chinese consumer will be the world's largest contributor to global consumption growth. And I was wondering if 
any of you want to argue against that thesis. Uh, Jia He, would you agree with what I said, or do you want to maybe argue against what I said? What do you think? Well, I think uh, you're really uh, right when we look at uh, what's going on in the next one decade or two, because Chinese economy is growing at a speed uh, that is faster than uh, economic regions like uh, Europe or North America, where they have uh, well less population for each of them. They have much more income. That means their growth rate is really slowing down. So if you talk about in the next one or two decades, then yeah, I mean China is going to probably take up the largest consumption market in the world. Hmm. Bruno, David, uh, any rebuttals, or would you agree with? Uh, no, I, th I think it's going to take a while. I think yeah. I think arguably you could say the, uh, the makeup of the GDP of China has to change for that to happen. Uh, you know, as, as we were discussing earlier, the this makeup has been mostly driven by by investment, infrastructure, real estate in particular, and exports, and and consumption is still, I think, e even today, I think, thirty nine percent of GDP. Uh, and in, in, in developed market Europe or the US, I think it's more like 60%. So, so I think the, the, the contribution of consumption into the China GDP has to change for that to happen. You know, because, of course, we, we don't want this, um, you know, the, the challenge that you put to us uh, to be the results of, uh, you know, everybody else declining except China. I think that would not be good for, for the rest of the world. Mm. Uh, and so we should assume that the other economy will also grow. Uh, and so therefore, uh, the, the consumption has to grow faster uh, in China for, for your, your challenge to, to, be, uh, to be true. I do believe it's going to be true, but I think it's going to take a while, as I said, because mm. the makeup of the GDP has to change. I have a couple of points to make there. One is mm. that there's a big difference between consumption growth that's made possible because people are becoming wealthier and consumption growth made possible because people are becoming able to borrow more. China's growth so far has been because of income growth. Consumption growth has been driven by income growth. I think it's important that that continues. An another point is that we're, we're seeing consumption growth in a lot of poor places. You know, it may be small number of dollars, but it's a big increase in income for them. So for instance, in Africa, we're seeing a lot of increase in consumption, but it's very cheap stuff. Nobody's buying, I mean, the, the rich people might be buying the, the latest iPhone, but the others are buying the cheapest phone they can get that does the job for them. Mm. And so we're seeing a lot of consumption as India, as was mentioned, but also in Africa. And I think Chinese business is in a better position to sell to those markets than many of the Western producers are. Mm. because they know how to sell to relatively poor markets. We are all out of time. It was a fascinating discussion. Thank you all so much for joining us. And that will do it for this edition of Econ Talk Kickstart 2023. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time.